was in that state of mind of wanting to die, I was just like, I, I was thinking, I can't do this anymore. I can't go through another depressive episode. I just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's why I tried to kill myself. You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name's Hunter Keegan. Thanks for joining me. For today's installment of the podcast, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Paulina. Paulina is a popular Twitter space host who lives with bipolar disorder type 1 and has facilitated hundreds of conversations about mental health over the last year and a half. About two weeks ago, Paulina experienced a psychotic break and attempted to take her own life. On this important installment of the show, Paulina discusses calling the 988 National Mental Health Crisis Hotline and how she received emergency treatment to survive her suicide attempt. As far as content warnings go, needless to say, this discussion focuses heavily on suicide. It doesn't get graphic, but the subject matter may be disturbing to some listeners. Okay, we're back with Paulina. Paulina, how are you doing today? Uh, well, I'm here. I'm surviving. Yeah. I wish I'd say that I'm okay, but it's like, yeah. It's kind of rough. Um, do you want to tell the audience what condition you live with? Yeah, uh, bipolar one mixed episodes. Yeah, and so what does the mixed episode specifier mean? Can you explain it? Um, well, mixed episodes, like, okay, so people think of bipolar as mania or depression or one or the other, um, but I can experience both depressive um, symptoms plus manic episodes at the same time, so I will have uh, feelings of um, worthlessness, uh, tired, um, at the same time, I could feel uh, energized or um yeah yeah absolutely it sounds very paradoxical because you've got the symptoms of elevated mood which again doesn't always mean happy mood it can also mean like anxiety or stress or dysphoria um so you can have that type of elevation and then you can also have like depressive symptoms creeping in too when you're having a mixed state do you ever have like like i don't want to say positive symptoms of mania but do you feel euphoria as well or is it more of the dysphoric mania well i've learned now that when i'm having an episode uh it usually starts with hypomania so that's when i experience the euphoria uh 
uh, feelings, you know, like going outside. I didn't even know what euphoria was. I, I didn't, I don't know what happiness was until I really paid attention. It's like euphoria is like, for me, it's feeling like I'm in love, but not, I don't have anyone, my, anyone in my life that I'm even like dating. So it's like that natural high when you first meet someone, um, that's what euphoria feels like. And so it starts with hypomania. And then I tend to, uh, like I'll be more, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, when I'm having a mess episode, it would be more like either more depressive or more like on the manic side. Uh, I tend to um, spend longer time in the depressive episodes. Like my depressive episodes can last months at a time mm -hmm. or I mean, close to like a year. Uh, and then now with manic episodes that are maybe like, they are about five to seven days long, two weeks at the most. Hmm. So how old were you when you were diagnosed? It was like 32. It was 2015 was when I was officially diagnosed uh, with bipolar. And I'd been, yeah. Yeah. I'd been missed. I'd been diagnosed with major depressive disorder. I've been like before then. But uh, when I first started feeling like something wasn't right, like something was wrong, um, I would say probably like 18, like uh, I would say like like early like early adulthood like eighteen to twenty years old. I just felt really off. Like yeah. it wasn't just depression, depression, but I would feel like I needed to do something dangerous. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. And I just really wanted to know like what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I had my first psych evaluation when I was nineteen. I was homeless, and um, it was like a really quick psych evaluation it was a lot of questions about like my situation and uh in my so she diagnosed me with you know she was like you're acutely depressed and it's situational um yeah i'm also asian too and so she's like some of it was blamed on my culture going like mm. oh well your people are just like <laughs> you're you're just like quiet or it's like it's more suppressive it's like you know like it's yeah, yeah. Some of it was blamed on um, my culture. It's just a way of life, you know. You're just like really depressed because of the way that you're living and having a traumatic and like I didn't have a good childhood, so that a lot of it was on that too. Do you agree that the culture had something to do with it? No, I think that like I mean, bipolar is very it's it's genetic, and I was like. There, my dad, I think, was undiagnosed, but he's he died. Um, but the first time he tried to kill himself, I was thirteen, and I had an aunt that killed herself as well. And I think that was also bipolar. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I, I was misdiagnosed because a lot of it was like just blamed on oh the culture is just different. You guys are oppressed. <laughs> um. When you were experiencing homelessness and you first got that diagnosis and um, those resources were accessed, how how did that play out? Like, how did that come to be? Did you reach out to like a local shelter or um, was there some sort of other intervention? Well, I mean, I was depressed a lot, couldn't hold a job, so I didn't like wasn't able to stay at home because there's a lot of abuse there too so that's how I ended up homeless I just didn't have like the energy to even get out of bed I was just like 
a zombie basically just being on the bus crying constantly uh that's why i think i ended up homeless and then after that seeing that psychiatrist when i was 19 she put me um wrote me a prescription for prozac which i never took because i was very like anti-medicine especially psych medicines i was like you know because i heard a lot of people say that like that doesn't work or there's no such thing as mental illness uh my family particularly it doesn't exist they just it, there's no word for mental illness or mental health either um just anyone that's different they was or suffering from depression they would just call them crazy Yeah. So in terms of what's been going on recently, you were recently hospitalized just a couple of weeks ago, maybe even less than a couple of weeks ago. I know that you made a decision one night to call the 988 number. And I just wanted to ask, uh, what encouraged you to connect with that resource uh the 988 number for people who don't know is a national mental health crisis hotline in the united states well i mean before i i made a suicide attempt uh two weeks before that i was manic so i think that had contributed to that and i hadn't been taking care of myself and um yeah that day it was just like something that happened but it wasn't You know, so it wasn't, you know, even like sometimes with the episodes, nothing triggers it really. It just it just comes out, it creeps up from nowhere. Yeah. And this time, you know, that it, you know, something does happen, but it shouldn't, the reaction should have, reaction shouldn't have been, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, but yeah, I think not being in a right state of mind, I think it was, I was in psychosis when he decided to um, overdose and then, when I called 988, I was wanting to, I was felt myself slipping away, slipping away. I was like really drowsy. I was like about to fall asleep. I just want to hear one, like a voice basically before. I mean, that's why I called and I've called other times as well, where I was just, you know, talking to somebody, um, you know, I didn't, she asked me if I, had harmed myself or I was trying to, you know, harm myself. I lied. I said no. And then she heard me vomiting and she called 911. Uh, so it was like a three-way call. And um, she, I was just compliant, you know, just telling them what I did. <laughs> it was mm like -hmm. really, um, yeah. And it was really quick. She stayed on the phone with me. Uh, the EMS showed up with them probably like in five minutes because I didn't even have time to like, you know, get anything other than like, like, cause they were telling me on the phone to like get my medications and whatever, but she just stayed on the phone with me to make sure I didn't fall asleep. You know, she was just like, stay on the phone with me. Don't, don't go to sleep. And she was like, you know, making sure like she didn't hang up until she heard EMS there. And then she told me she was going to call back later to check up on me again, uh, which she did, but she left a voicemail. So I didn't have access to my phone. Did you feel like the 988 operator was well-trained? Yeah, she was, you know, because at first when she was talking to me before even, you know, before she heard me vomiting, you know, she was like, asked me why, you know, kind of like, well, what was the reason for the call? I was talking, telling her, I was talking to her like I was my friend, like she was talking to me like she was my friend. She's like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, that's just really tough, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she seems real well-trained. 
So after you um, arrived to the hospital in the state that you were residing in at the time, what was the intake process there like? Uh, yeah, well, a police officer, I think, I mean, he did the first intake and I was kind of confused with that. He was just asking me what I took and what I have and like what mental illness I have. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it. And then after that, I was like really depressed and I was just like vomiting, crying. <clears throat> and the nurse was actually really, really helpful because, I mean, that's a different experience that I've had in, in a different state that I was in. Because, uh, I mean, any time, the other times where I've been in the emergency room with anxiety, not even with a suicide attempt or anything, but just trying to get help with bipolar, um, I was treated like I was a criminal. Uh, yeah. and it was like, you know, I, I, one time I spent like 16 hours sleeping on the floor, just waiting for our bed. Um, yeah, not very kind people that just like, people are like, why aren't you taking meds and like being mean to me or like, you know, yeah, I was going like, this is the only medication you're going to get today. <laughs> she was, yeah, it was a different experience this time, uh, being in a different state, which was really surprising because it's a Southern state. The, the emergency room nurse was really nice too. I was just like crying because I was like really disappointed that I was alive. Um, yeah, I think I was still in uh, in a psychosis at that moment too when I still I was still feeling suicidal after you know being in the hospital too. I I slept for the first two days, um, and then yeah, when I woke up, it was just like yeah, I was there for six days and it was, it was helpful. Uh, Right. They added medications for me because I'd been only on a mood stable, a stabilizer. So I saw a resident in the psychiatry unit because there's no, there was actually no psychiatry unit on that actual in the hospital. I stayed on the, the surgery floor, um, but they had they did have a, a psychiatry or a psychiatrist that was on site. She, um, I spoke to her for a little bit on the third day. Mm -hmm. She asked me questions about my history with bipolar and my episodes and. So they, yeah, they they had you in a uh, in like a regular hospital room because the hospital didn't have a dedicated psychiatric wing, right? Right, and I had a room sitter at all times. Mm -hmm. uh, did you talk to the room sitter at all? I I did with one with one. She I did speak to her for like we did talk a lot. She uh, you know. She was asking me about my family, my history and stuff. And then she was sharing some personal things and said that, you know, she like whispered it. She was like, I try to kill myself before too. You know, so it's like, yeah, I had a nice, you know, long conversation with her. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but the other ones I was kind of like, no, there, I did have one nurse tell me to stop crying. <laughs> she was like, she was crying like good for you. I was like, ah. Uh, what? Like, yeah, I didn't get offended or anything because I'm like, okay, I just like it's just the difference of opinions that I was telling her. Actually, crying for me helps me. I need to get it out because I just I have a hard time crying. But yeah, it's, it feels good now to uh, cry and let it out. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think there's anything wrong with crying. I I think especially when you're in a really intense situation like that, for someone to say, "Hey, stop crying," or "That's not helpful." It's like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just there's no use in getting mad or anything i just i i explained to her that for me it helps me <laughs> like because i don't cry that often and i just need to let it out 
Yeah. I mean, that's as good a time as any to kind of let it out and, Mm -hmm. you know, experience that catharsis. So what type of treatment did you receive there if there wasn't a psychiatric unit in the hospital uh, and you're in a regular room, again, with a room sitter who I guess is there to make sure that you don't try to harm yourself or do anything unseemly? Mm-hmm. Um, what what type of care did you receive? Yeah, they were just they were monitoring my heart to make sure I didn't pass away because, you know, what I did is it would have been a long, drawn out death. So it was not fun. They were monitoring my blood levels. Uh, so they're making sure that my blood levels are okay, that it wasn't toxic anymore. Um, before getting discharged, uh, they added an antipsychotic and an antidepressant to my medications, which uh, helped because I was like not no longer having suicidal ideations. Kind of like woke me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like more clear minded by the sixth day. I'm really glad like I got discharged on the sixth day too because I was like really tired of getting my blood drawn. I was like, I've had it. I'm like, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to try this again. Uh, it was very painful. I felt like I was not good on my body. Like I felt like I was being abusive towards my own body. Mm-hmm. Like that. You sent me photographs of all of the uh, like poke marks where they had injected the needles and that did not look fun oh that's just one arm i didn't show you the other arm yeah (laughs) yeah it was like eight times a day just get my blood drawn i'm like i have a high pain tolerance too because like but uh that was that was a lot i was thinking about my father a lot who has like diabetes and he would be in the hospital for two weeks at a time he would come home with like bruised hands too like i did you know Mm mm-hmm Wow. Yeah. Was there anything that specifically surprised you or maybe caught you a little bit off guard in either a positive or negative way with this hospitalization experience? Um, well, I mean, the positive, I was really surprised at how much they listened to me and what I wanted. Because I told them, I don't want to go to inpatient. They're talking about transferring me to some, uh, you know, to like a psychiatry unit to to, to recover. And I was like, I really don't want to, you know, I want to have access to my phone. I'm going to be like, because when I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm on a depressive episode right now. And to get me, me out of it, I have to be active and to keep myself busy. When, yeah. And then being an inpatient, it's like, all I have is time to ruminate and think about things. I'm like, I, it wouldn't be good for me. Yeah. And, and that would kind of be the difference between like a regular hospitalization and a psych hospitalization, right? Like most mm-hmm. psychiatric units, they, they don't allow cell phones or electronics. It's much more constrictive. So I'm glad that in this case, that that's not what happened. Yeah. I mean, uh, I got utensils a couple of times. <laughs> utensils? Yeah, utensils. I mean, it was pretty. It's a very bare room. There's no shower curtain. Uh, it was like I couldn't. I didn't have utensils when I was eating. I had to eat with pans because you know I could stab myself. You know. <laughs> oh shit! Okay. Yeah, they were making sure that it was like the room was safe. It was very bare. <laughs> they couldn't give you like a like a really soft spoon or something to like. Nah, because you use like it was a weapon. You know. <laughs> what kind of food did they have the... there? Oh my gosh, it was not good. Like I didn't have an appetite either. I just was eating just like put something in my body so I could get discharged 
you know, quicker and uh, it was like prison food. I was just thinking, like, if they're going to require you to eat it with your hands, they should give you, like, tacos or, like, other finger foods. Oh, yeah. One one dinner, there was, like, beans. It was all soupy stuff. I was like, I, well, I was supposed to eat this. I didn't even eat dinner. I just skipped it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So with, with all this that has happened, you were, um, you were at the area in the country where you were hospitalized in and how are you doing now since you've been out for about a week now and you're kind of recalibrating, how, how would you say you're doing like today? Yeah. Like a one out of 10 out of as far as mood. I mean, my mood's probably like at a one today. So I'm in a depressed episode. I know this is going to last for months, but I'm, I know like I got to keep myself up and not oversleep. I'm sleeping a lot. You know, it's just like sleep, like frying about three times a day. Uh, but I know it's going to get better. Like I'm like really sad right now. Like it just, it hurts. Like my, my heart like hurts right now. However, I'm like optimistic because I know that this is another episode and I'm going to go in remission again. Um, I learned that I'm a whole lot stronger than I thought I was. Cause when, when I was in that state of mind of wanting to, to die, I was just like, I, I was thinking I can't do this anymore. I can't go through another depressive episode. I just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's why I tried to kill myself. Mm. And now that I did, uh, I'm here and I realize, yeah, that I do want to live. And I didn't think that anyone would care either. But I mean, I didn't do it for attention. But I I didn't realize how much people cared about me. I feel like I hurt them. I don't want to do this again. Mm-hmm. You know, I had people like friends too that died by suicide. I can understand it. Why? You know, if you're in that much pain. However, it still hurts. And I don't want to do do that to other people that I care about. Right. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I I know that uh a couple of people had reached out to me and let me know that you were hospitalized, but they didn't really say why. And I was obviously concerned. So I, I messaged you on Twitter and um yeah, uh I w- I was just glad that that you were still there and that you were still even able to respond. Um, I know obviously when I sent you that message, you, you were probably not in a very good place, but, um, I appreciated you just responding to let me know that you had seen it. And yeah, I mean, you're a, uh, pillar of the Twitter mental health community. Like you, you have spaces, you're pretty well known within our community. And I think that, Mm -hmm. uh, when people saw you tweeting about, uh, just very, very general tweets about like, hey guys, like I'm in the hospital, I'm okay. Like, um, I did notice that there there was a lot of engagement with those. A lot of people were commenting, just signs of support. So yeah, I, I know that we all care about you a lot and we're all super mm-hmm. happy that you're still with us. Yeah, my, my natural instinct is to hide. <laughs> I really wanted like, you know, hide and go away and disappear, not telling anybody what I did. Wherever it's like, there there's meaning to this i think it happened for a reason and where i'm trying to you know 
make light of it or or try to do something with this like uh and i think that it's yeah and i mean i mean i don't want to like you know go around and just like talk about this but or like have speeches about this but you know if people ask me about it i'm gonna want to be honest and candid about it uh suicide's not a bad word you know we should be able to talk about it you know it's not it's not okay i mean killing yourself is not okay however it should be okay to reach out and be able to tell people that you're having suicidal thoughts because if you don't talk about it you're not able to say it then we're not going to get help because mm -hmm. i think people are afraid because they're like afraid of uh people going oh my gosh she's just doing it for attention it's like i'm not i wasn't even thinking about that i was in psychosis it was actually the co complete opposite <laughs> i was thinking no one's gonna care i really did i mm -hmm. honestly nobody cared about it. nobody even noticed that i was gone that's absolutely that was not the case at all that's completely yeah it was delusional one reaction that I had when I heard that you were in the hospital is that it kind of caught me off guard because I had just spoken with you like two or three days before, and I could tell that you were in a bit of an elevated mood state, but I didn't know that it was going to crash so suddenly. Yeah, I think it surprised a lot of people, including myself, too, because I, you know, people would be like, oh, you know, Polina knows when she needs to take a break. Uh which I do usually, however, uh, it makes sense now. It's just like I was masking a lot, just lying to myself that I was okay. And I was really taking, I was really ignoring myself and not taking my medications like I should, not talking to people, not getting therapy like I should. I was, you know, everyone else came before I did. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to write myself a letter right now while I'm clear minded so that when I do get in this you know, episode again, or have another episode, I can have a reminder that I'm going to, I'm going to write myself and say something to myself and just be like, you are in psychosis right now. Your thoughts are delusional. People care. You matter. Like I need to remind myself that. I think that's a really, really good idea. I think that sounds <laughs> amazing. Is there any other immediate self-care that you're practicing right now or that you plan on practicing as you continue to recuperate? Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, it feels good to cry. I'm going to keep crying, uh, letting it out because I was holding it a lot of it in. And it's it takes a toll on your body too physically when you hold in emotions. So I'm going to keep crying. That's the body's natural way of um, attempting to regulate our moods because it activates the uh, <clears throat> the nervous system when you cry. And I've been doing intentional uh, breathing as well because when I'm stressed, I breathe out uh, through my mouth. I tend to hold my my nose, my nostril, like my, my my nose through my breath through my nose. So I've been like uh, kind of have longer breaths like this, like this, and then like sighing a lot. Sighing uh, is a body's fastest way to also regulate itself to bring in more oxygen rather than carbon uh dioxide when you're breathing through your gesture through your mouth mouth so yeah a lot of breathing right now yeah regular breathing is important it can be mm -hmm. very helpful for anxiety and stress reduction do you have any goals that you're working toward right now like anything further in the future or is your mentality just based on the here and now yeah i'm trying to be present right now 
like I'm just like uh, yeah I need to my first priority is to uh, get out of this depressive episode like my mental health is number one right now and slowing down I've been doing a lot of thinking too and then the, the next step is to like get active uh, get back on my feet start working again because I still have to rest my heart like I feel like my heart's still <clears throat> like beating fast like my heart mm -hmm. rate was high in the hospital my, my blood pressure too was like very high but I'm naturally a very chill person so I want to get back to that relaxed person like yeah I'm just trying to first priority is getting in remission and then the second one is to take care of the material things uh yeah, I'm going to follow that, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I think so. I'll, I'll follow on that chart. <laughs> That's my goal. I will post a link to Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the episode description so people can check that out. That's a classic psychology mm -hmm. tool or um, conceptualization, I guess. And it's it's very interesting. It states that you you have your most basic needs at the bottom of the pyramid, which are like, you know, uh, physiological needs like food and water and shelter. And then as you go up to the higher echelons of the pyramid, it is like self-actualization and love and belonging and those other psychological needs that we have that make us feel like we're really connected to the world and like we have a purpose and soul and sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's just that, is that uh, bipolar thing? <laughs> you know, it's like every time you, you have a really bad episode, I just get, start back down at the bottom again. It's okay. You know, it's like, and it's part of the illness. It's like, I think a lot of people that are listening could, that have bipolar can understand. You know, it's just like you go back down the bottom again, then you can get back in the top, but it's okay. It, it's you know? it's mm -hmm. difficult, but it's doable. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it takes a lot of effort, though. And I know you know that. I I hope that um, people listening know that yeah like we don't want to sound like oh yeah it's just going to get better like it, it'll just get better because that's not where either of us are myself or Paulina so I think that putting in that effort getting back up to the top of the hill or at least a place on the hill that feels stable and safe and grounded that's that's fantastic yeah I'm trying to go into remission and just be stable. I'm just like, I just don't want to be depressed. It's like, this is like, I gotta, the first thing I do is like, I get, get sun in my eyes. Yeah. A lot of sunshine. Mm -hmm. it going outside. Yeah. yeah. So if people are looking to find more about you, um or want to hear more of your story how can they find you on social media and how how can they find your podcast yeah but they can find my uh, podcast it's uh i have bipolar and you can find me on instagram at i have bipolar podcast and my email is also the same as i have bipolar podcast at gmail.com and then i am on twitter at alina without a u p-a-l-i-n-a-444 awesome and i strongly encourage the audience to check that out you've got some really great content up and i know right now you're focusing on yourself of course but it's also worth mentioning that you're a pretty prolific twitter space host and that's how a lot of people may know you as well 
Um, so even though you're taking a little bit of a step back from the space hosting, I just wanted to mention that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm taking a break right now. Uh, I think as a as a moderator, as a host, um, I didn't talk about myself. <laughs> it's like kind of reason, part of the reason why I hosted a lot so I could avoid, you know, being open. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm gonna take a long break and focus on myself right now uh, until I return and where I'm healthy enough where I have extra marbles to to go back to being a listener. And I like people. that. I like that extra marbles. I hope you find them. You will. I know it. Yeah, there might be some hidden underneath this bed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, Paulina, thank you so much for coming on to speak with me about all this. I know it's not easy, but you're super awesome. You're so articulate when it comes to talking about these sorts of issues. And I just really appreciate you. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, hopefully maybe um, they can come back when I'm back, uh, you know, in remission. We'll see how long this depressive episode lasts, you know, where I am, I am, I do want to get better. I do want to get better. Like I can't go down that rabbit hole. I have to get up and do things I don't want to. I don't want to speak. Like I didn't want to talk today, but I have to. I didn't like it, but I feel better. Because I forced you to come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, Paulina, thank you again. And um, definitely stay in touch with us because we love hearing from you. Right. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. If you want to, yeah, guys, you know, there's help out there. Not every, not every situation is the same. You might, you know, not, not every hospital is the same or, you know, people are different that I think there's more good people out there. There's people that understand that won't judge you and to not be afraid to get help. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. to this installment of the show. Paulina was so brave to come on and share her story. I'm really glad that I know people like Paulina who are so fearless and real about themselves. If you've been enjoying Bipolar Recorder, be sure to tell a friend about the show. Paulina is on Twitter at Paulina444 and her podcast is called I Have Bipolar. I'm on Twitter at HH Keegan. Bipolar Recorder is on Twitter at Bipolar Recorder. My name's Hunter Keegan. Have a safe day, evening, or night wherever you are. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. 
Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.